XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. I hope you all enjoyed the commentary track for the Mothman Prophecies with Rich Haddam, as well as special guests Forrest Burgess, Aaron Deese, and Sonny Sulet. It truly was an honor, as well as a fanboy dream, to make that come together. This episode serves as a follow-up to that commentary. When I lined this up, I asked Rich if we could do a small listener Q&A session once the film ended, and we ended up having to reschedule. Much to my delight, it ended up turning into a much longer conversation than anticipated, so I decided to release it as a standalone episode as bonus content. We're going to dive into that here in short order, but before we do, I need to do a little bit of housekeeping. We are approaching the end of the year. And if you're a long-time listener, it's no secret that I typically take January and February off from the main feed to recoup, regroup, rest, and do some investigation planning for the year. This is definitely a formula that I will be sticking to until this becomes my full-time life, but I wanted to remind you that the season finale is not too far away. Before we get there, though, I wanted to give you a heads up that we will be dark for at least two to three weeks after this episode. Our final investigation series for Season 3 is a whopper, and I am going to need to take a little bit of time to work on that production to do it right. But, if all goes as planned, you'll get at least another four episodes at minimum to close this season out. Not telling you what it is just yet, but if you follow us on social media and caught any glimpses of our adventures in the desert from the summer, you know exactly where this is going. I might end up sharing one or two of our Patreon episodes in the meantime, but we'll just have to wait and see how it goes, and I appreciate your patience and understanding. On top of our final investigation series for this season, we will also have our annual Solstice Party slash Season Finale Gathering, where I invite the XV Planus team as well as all of the new friends that we've made throughout the year to hang out for a couple of hours, discuss and reflect the year's events and how it made us grow, and probably have one drink too many before we devolve into a series of ridiculous stream-of-consciousness-type banter. I'm hoping to have quite a few new voices joining us this year for that, and regardless of the release schedule for the final set of episodes, you can expect that one to air on Winter Solstice proper, which is Thursday, December 21st. A few other side notes before we get into this episode's main event. Be sure to check out all of the links provided in the show notes, not only on this one, but the previous episode. It will lead you to all of our guests from the commentary that we did with Rich, as well as some other interesting events coming up soon, like the Natchez Bigfoot Birthday Bash, which I will be delivering a lecture on the more high-strangeness side of the Bigfoot phenomena, as well as starring as the villain in the Natchez Little Theater's production of Bigfoot's Revenge. I'm hoping to capture all audio from our speakers at this event, and if I'm able to, I will definitely be sharing that on the main feed. Also, don't forget to check out all of the guest appearances that I've been doing recently, including the podcast Camera Occulta, Which Way From Here, with my good friend Corinne Labita, and coming soon you can hear a bit about my past experiences with the paranormal on the Farthest Reaches Listener Stories episodes. Oh, and if you have Sirius you can catch a snippet of High Strangeness on the last podcast on the left's Open Lines show from October 9th, I think. 
I'll try and get all of those available links in the show notes for you. Oh, and by the way, if you like the dynamic of Rich and myself, you should really check out our Patreon for a special episode that we did last year on alternate timelines, realities, and dimensions, where I go off the rails, Walker and Alejandro try to rein me back in, and Rich is the voice of reason. Yes, you heard that right. Let that sink in. Okay, I think that's it for updates. So without further ado, please welcome back Rich Haddam to XV Planis as he answers some of your questions. Rich, thanks for coming back. Uh, as we stated, we had a few Q&A things going on. We had some uh, listeners who wanted to throw uh, some curveball questions to you and some very predictable ones as well. Okay. Um, so so thanks for hopping back on here and, and digging into this with us, man. Great. So uh, first up, Crystal Enerson, a good friend and frequent collaborator with XV Planis from the podcast Empowered with Crystal Lee, has a couple of questions for you. Okay. Uh, and the first one was, what was the defining factor for you to work on this film? What was it that really pulled you into it? Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming that means sort of the decision to, um, to go through the process of contacting John Keel, getting, you know, un- arranging through my agent and his lawyer an option on the book. And that was all in the spring, early summer of 1997. And I would say, well, when I read the book, it, it definitely gripped me and it, and it gripped me in a particular way. Like, I think this is something like, I think this is not just a book. Like, I think there's, I think I can do something with this. I think I can interact with the themes here in a way that would allow me to write something meaningful. Um, then to even take one further step earlier in the process, I, I think what made me feel that way was the way John Keel wrote the book. And it wasn't so much the details of the book. It was the way he experienced his time in Point Pleasant and how and how it became very personal for him. This was not just an overview of phenomenon. This was his story too. And there aren't a lot of books like that. Communion is like that, Hungry Ghosts, Vertical Plane. There are some books that that are about the person's experiencing of the phenomenon. And that's what struck me because it was the first one I'd read that was really like that aside from communion. And, um, and so I thought, yeah, yeah, I think there's a way for me to talk about the things that interest me using this book and John Keel's experience as a framework. Okay. Well, I mean, that definitely makes sense to me because like when, when you read Mothman prophecies, like, and for all of you who listen, you all know, I'm a huge fan of Hunter S Thompson. It's almost gonzo journalism, but within (laughs) the realm of the paranormal, like you end up folding yourself into the story that you're writing. And by the way, one of these days, you and I, I want to have a deep conversation with you about uh, hungry ghosts. Cause that one, Oh yeah. That one gets to me. Cause it kind of, yeah. Yes. Ooh, that's heavy. Yeah, that, that's a rough one. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a rough one, but it's also beautiful. And I uh, personally, I believe it to be a cautionary tale. I discovered uh, Hungry Ghosts, and I I listened to uh, what you guys did with Astonishing Legends when I was probably my my first year and a half into my own paranormal journey. And I consider that to be a cautionary tale of, holy crap, I'm letting way too much in. So I got to scale things back a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I totally get that. From from that book, yes, that yeah. is that is the lesson. So Crystal's uh, follow-up question to that was, are you personally a believer in the paranormal? And if so, is there one experience or event that solidified your interest in it? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question in a very specific way. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is that I have never had what I feel is a legitimate paranormal experience or even one that I really feel is like, Ooh, maybe. So let's answer that. That's part a part B is I'm going to very specifically say, I'm not a believer. Okay. So I am not a, on the, on the far end of the scale, I'm not a debunker. And on the other end of the scale, I am not a believer because nothing has ever happened to me personally that that has made me as an individual that that has answered a question in such a way that I would say, ah, now that I've had that experience, I am a believer because I know what happened to me because nothing's happened to me. So I am in the middle in this sort of that, that excluded middle, that, that 40 and path of I'm not, I, I, there's nothing in me that says I need to debunk this. I need to let the world know that I think it's all bullshit, but there's also nothing in me that, that feels like I need to tell the world that this exists and you must know about it. I'm neither one of those things. I am someone in the middle who says the people who have had experiences are what we have. That's all we have right now. We don't have crashed UFOs. We don't have a ghost in a bottle. We don't have a Bigfoot body. We have experiencers, and that is all that we have. And therefore, that is who we should be talking to. Those are the people we should be uh, studying, if, if that's the right phrase. But these are the people we need to be understanding. Because look, if it turns out that this is all some psychological syndrome, then the only way we're going to learn that is by talking to experiencers. Or on the other hand, if there is something to the experience that goes beyond just what is inside that individual, if they are interacting with something outside of themselves, then again, the only thread we have to pull is their experience and what we can learn from it. Um, so that is my answer. I think that's probably the most brilliant answer that I've heard. I, I mean, especially as not being an experiencer yourself, I think... Yeah, that was that was a very perfect touch. Um, we don't have all the answers, and we should be looking for them. Um, and even me being an active investigator, I don't have answers for anything at all. But yeah. I mean, I've got experiences. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny when uh, Scott and Forrest interviewed Avi Loeb. You know, he he sort of declared where he is, and 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 he knows where he is on that scale. His point of view is, I'm not interested in people's stories. You got a story, and you saw a thing in the sky, and you think you were abducted, but none of that is useful. The only thing that will ever be useful 
is a piece of alien technology I can hold in my hand. That is the only thing that matters to science. And he's not wrong. That is what is going to be compelling to the hardest of hard sciences. I think I think somewhere between hard science and pseudoscience are the soft sciences, and those are the ones where those are the sciences where the experiencer can have a voice. I 100% agree. It's actually one of the reasons that that personally I want people like myself who are actually out there investigating. I want us to pull away from this whole ghost hunting thing. And let's actually get back into parapsychology. Let's like fold that back in because there was a there was a scientific edge to pursuing this stuff in, in previous generations, and we've just kind of lost that. Now it's become tourism or complete and total debunking. You know, we got to find that middle ground. But no, personally, I can say that nobody can deny that something strange is happening in multitudes of ways, but how we figure that out and how we quantify that data, that's the challenge because we're dealing right. with stuff that we don't fully understand. Right. And it's still a challenge and it's a worthwhile challenge to engage in. Absolutely. So Kimmy and Ryan from the Alluring podcast wanted to ask you, is there one particular artistic representation of the Mothman that is your personal favorite? And if so, why? Well, I like the ones in the movie just because it reminds me of the movie. Right. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I also, there's a few, um, uh, that I've seen online sort of graphic re representations that tend more toward the, um, uh, the fun side, sort of the, the fun interpretation, uh, almost the cartoon version that I kind of like because it takes something yeah, that's yeah. that, that when you experience it from what I understand is very scary and sort of claims it, you know, into the realm of, Oh no, this is not, we're not going to let you be scary Mothman. You're on our side. So, and I do like how the Mothman has sort of become a, um, this figure that has been claimed by, uh, people with, you know, gender fluidity and orientation fluidity and, sort of outsiders of all kinds have sort of claimed Mothman as their, uh, as their mascot in a way. Right. And I like that because Mothman is a misunderstood outsider who is, who, you know, inspires fear in those who don't know him and is demonized by those who do not understand. But, but if, but there's always that hope that as we, uh, as, as we further interact with Mothman, we'll come to a better understanding of what uh, it really is. And, and maybe some of that, um, some of that uh, darkness will be lifted. So uh, that's, uh, but in, but in terms of that, yeah, I like the stuff in the movie and I, and I like the more fun stuff. Okay. Well, actually that kind of leads into, to a question for me is uh, what, what you were just saying kind of triggered a thought in my head. Personally, when I go back and I look at, the entire scope of everything that happened and everything that's been documented. To me, it almost seems like, I know it's called the Mothman Prophecies, but any of you who have read the book know it's way more than that. The Mothman seems like a symptom of something broader that's going on because there's this mass of other stuff going on. It's a very, very small piece of the puzzle. 
but I, I guess I, it's understandable that it's the most identifiable because at the time it was certainly the weirdest thing uh, that people had encountered, but it's a small piece of it. Right. Well, in the Chicago cases that are going on now and have been going on for the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, there, as far as I know, there, there has not been a lot of reported, um, sort of connected phenomenon. Like I'm not hearing it's like, Oh, I saw Mothman. And then the next day the men in black showed up or suddenly I had psychic abilities, or it was as if a poltergeist was in my house, which is stuff that happened in point pleasant. I mean, that's what makes it such an irresistible story also is that it was so localized in, in a small town that made it almost, it made it feel like it was studyable. Like, like it was almost sort of under the dome. It's like, okay, we've got a town. There's a limited number of people. There's only so many ways in and out. You know, it's not hermetically sealed, but the people live here. They're not, it's not New York city where people are jetting in and out. It's not Chicago where, you know, tourists are coming in and other people. I mean, the, the Chicago Mothman is, is at the airport and the environs of the airport. That seems to be where it's being seen, which is emblematic of this sort of like it's in the middle of a giant metropolitan area it would be very hard to to sort of feel like you're getting a real handle on it so um yeah i mean are are there other side stories going on there that we just don't hear about i mean we we don't know because all we hear about with chicago is strictly the sightings you're right yeah, yeah. yeah. And Lon Strickler is trying, you know, he's sort of, I think he's out in the sort of in the front and Tobias Wayland wrote a book about it. And, you know, these are the people who are sort of, you know, really sort of shining a light, if you will, on what's going on there. But it's still, you're dealing with witnesses who come from all different walks of life and maybe don't want to have repeated communications with someone who's studying something there may be all kinds of phenomena we just don't know anything about because the 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 people come in they see something they report it they report it once and they're gone you know whereas john keel was kind of living with people for you know months and months and weeks and coming back and rechecking with people and look that 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 also has its own problems you know it does yeah people can talk to each other stories can begin to take on elements of other stories but anyway yeah i don't know i don't know all right well all right so uh scaling back from that i've got some uh random anonymous patreon subscribers have thrown out some questions and and some of these some of these are pretty fun what is your opinion on the final casting choices of the mothman prophecies and would you have chosen differently for any of the roles um i i love everyone uh, we talked about it a little bit, uh, you know, while we were watching, um, R- Richard Gere, Laura Linney, fantastic. Um, Alan Bates, fantastic. W- you know, again, if they had, if they had gone to more of a, you know, hard scrabble Midwestern American who just feels like they'd be the last person in the world to be, you know, drawn into a paranormal mystery, that would have been interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm thrilled. There's a Will Patton. Come on. There's not a, not a single person in that cast who I don't feel is now definitively connected with that story. And to me, I honestly got to say like Will Patton steals the show for me. 
that uh, that's the one that yeah. really pulls you in. I mean, it's a very tragic and a multi-layered character that goes through a huge transformation throughout the course of the story, as does uh, John Klein. But but his transformation doesn't happen until those last like twenty minutes of the film when it really hits him. I mean, there's a slow burn and then boom, the switch goes off. But man, Patton's character like it hurts to watch. He just did yeah. so good with it. It was it was brilliant. I would yeah. if I ever get to do this again, I'm hoping I can drag him on here to, to, to do another <laughs> commentary because I would I would love yeah. to just hang out with that guy for a night. Yeah, that yeah. Well, God, let me know. I'd uh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, th- th- you know, and it's a tough character because people who who do have those experiences, it is easy for those characters to be kind of alienating because they're different. We haven't had those experiences, and as an audience, you almost want to dissociate from that and go, okay, so that guy is marginal, liminal, on the fringe. I don't need to take them seriously. But he's so compelling as a genuine human being that you instantly do. You're drawn in. And it's great because then it allows us to understand and respect and sympathize with Richard Gere, you know, John Klein being pulled in and being engaged with this person. Um, So, yeah, um, the cast is beautiful. Well, and going directly back to that, regarding Will Patton's uh, character, like how he comes into the fold, uh, immediately it's just kind of like a punch in the face. It's really, really hard. And then after that initial, uh, you know, uh, introduction between Gear's character, Patton's character, and then Laura Linick coming in, once that situation diffuses, you get what makes that so important. And and I, I have to commend you on this. You did a fantastic job, and so did the the director and the cinematographer of kind of creating that small town atmosphere, which is a major part on why this is such a moving story. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everything, and so when you have the uh, well, essentially the the head honcho of the protective force in town saying, "This is a small town. We all know everybody. He is perfectly fine. We don't know yeah. you." The dynamic yeah. kind of shifts, and I, I just, I love that because I feel that very much right here down in Natchez, Mississippi, right now. I said it before, and I'll say it again: this is a Southern fried version of Twin Peaks. It's kind of creeping me out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the uh, the next question that I have is, what is your? We're going to go off Mothman here for a second, and we're going to mm-hmm. go into something that I really want to go into. What is your favorite episode of Miracles, and why? Oh, that, w- w- which one of my children is my favorite? Come yeah, on, right. <laughs> ask me that. I, I I love them all. I love I love the pilot because my friend Matt directed it. Um, I love I love Hand of God because that um, my friend Benita is in it. Uh, she got a uh, um, a guest starring role. Uh, my friend, uh, my friend Andrew Elvis Miller is in the final episode. Uh, my friend Sean is in uh, Saint Debbie playing the guitar. So there's so many personal connections. There's there's episodes that were written by friends of mine, friends who are no longer with us, um, and and then there are just ones that that just appeal to me just because of their very weirdness, like the uh, the Civil War episode. So. I, I, I got to say, I love them all. I love them all. And I urge anyone out there, if you have any interest, 
hop on Amazon, grab some DVDs. Unfortunately, it is not streaming anywhere right now, but, um, but check them out. If I can honestly say outside of all boosterism for myself, if you like the Mothman prophecies, you like the way that that story is told and that tone, I think you're really going to enjoy miracles too. So check it out. I will 100% back that up. Uh, I mean, like I didn't, no, um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, cause you know, I heard about miracles after listening to you on astonishing legends. I'm like, well, I like Mothman prophecies. I'll check it out. So I picked it up and I am not disappointed. Well, I'm disappointed that it didn't continue, but that's not on anybody else, but poor network decisions. And that yeah. is my personal opinion. And they can come after me if they want to. Um, <laughs> All right. So now speaking of miracles, how did you choose the subjects tackled in the episodic nature of miracles? And why did you choose those particular instances of the paranormal or the supernatural? What uh, was it a group effort? Was it all, were you kind of the driving force behind it or? Um, I would say that I was a driving force behind it. Um, David Greenwald was also a driving force behind it. It at the time I didn't realize how fortunate I was to to have been teamed with somebody who understood what the goal of the show was there was never there was never a a sort of attention uh attention between us in terms of the narrative it was never like well you know these have to be scarier and more mystery based and more like the x-files no i think they should be over here we we both knew what it was supposed to be and we liked what it was supposed to be and we were happy to tell those stories so that was good um, the subject matter of the of the episodes was very much taken from what was, you know, a lifetime of research that I had done in terms of just the books that I was reading and the things that leaped out to me as being interesting, and and the ones that lended themselves to a personal emotional story were the ones that that rose to the top, and. Um, and then as we hired writers who kind of understood what we were going for, they jumped right in. And it's so funny. There were so many things that we thought of as weaknesses, like, well, they're not investigating for any sort of recognized group of people. They don't carry guns. For most of these, there are not life and death stakes. But all of that stuff sort of unburdened us and made us feel like, well, good. Now we can just tell stories. And we can tell stories that are compelling because the subject matter is compelling and it's in, it's inherently emotional. And, you know, and I always have to tell people like, don't let the title miracle scare you. It's not a Christian show. It's not preaching morality. I mean, I would feel the same way. I would go, I ain't watching a show called miracles. It was a, it was a title that was attached to the project that at the time I didn't think was going to be a problem. But since then I've heard people go, yeah, I heard about that, but I, I didn't watch it because I thought it was going to be this or this or this. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that anyway. Um, so yeah, the, the subject matter came from, from things that I read about that I found interesting. So that's it. But no, that, that was one of the things that I really appreciated about, uh, miracles is that it brought it down to less of an action stance and it was much more of a human story and, um, our relationship to these oddities that surround the world that we're in. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and, and again, like I've said before, it, it was never that we, we never even had the construction of, you know, skeptic versus believer, like, Ooh, is it really happening? That was never the question. It was always it's happening. Now, what do we do about it? Keep the mystery alive, man. That's, yeah. that's what you got to do. So, um, moving on from miracles, uh, one of my Patreon subscribers asked, what is your 
dream project. If you could pick one thing to work on that you know it, it would get an immediate green light, what would you want to do? And no, it does not have to be paranormal. What would you want to do if you were given like, here, here's $100 million, do what you want to do? Oh, God. Okay. Again, a couple different answers. One, I've already done it. Mothman miracles. Those are the dream projects. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I mean, it was, th there's no, I would not say there's something out there like a book adaptation or like, like, oh, but if I could just, you know, that's the white whale of my career. I did them and, and I'm so happy they came out so well. That's the other thing that's so rewarding. Um, I would I would say so I, I what I'm saying is there's not a project out there or even something that I'm pushing right now that's like, oh, this is the one that's gonna be the one. Um because I it, to a certain extent, I don't I don't have that still nagging at me because I feel I was I've been satisfied in those ways. Well, I think the question was more of a, on a personal sense. Like, is there one particular thing out there that that you would just want to do not because it fits into a frame or because it would make money but like a true passion project is is do you, do you have one out there there's a thing i'm working on now that i'm that i can't talk about fair enough but will but will hopefully sort of you know you'll know about it soon enough um and no i look here's I've worked on things that I didn't know they were going to be my favorite thing at the time. There have been projects I've worked on. It's taken months before suddenly it's like, oh, this is the most important. There have been pilots I've done that I really wanted to see move forward. Um, when I worked on The Lost Room, I was so excited that that might have further life. Oh, it should have. Um, you know, so there's there's all kinds of things in my past that it's like, oh, that one. I wish there had been a little more life to that one, um, but otherwise, I'm gonna have to plead the fifth. All right, fair enough. Uh, I will say personally that I was a little bit miffed when Lost Room came to an end, but I was also grateful that at least it was able to like somewhat wrap it up in, in a, a narrative standard, at least with the main characters that were brought into the story, but. Holy yeah. crap, you could have gone on with that forever, and I would have loved every second of it. Oh, God, me too. Me too, brother. <laughs> when it comes to the the paranormal and the weird stuff that, that you get tapped into, what was the first book that really hooked you? What was the one that like really sank its fangs into you? Was it The um, Wolfman the Prophecies, or was it something else? No, it was much earlier. Um, it was a book called uh, Ghosts and Specters uh, that was uh, given to me as a fairly young child. And it was the first, I would say, the first grown up um, book uh, that, you know, that wasn't Casper. <laughs> and, and that was the one that kind of triggered something in my brain like, oh, there are grownups who believe in this stuff too. This isn't kid stuff and there might actually be something to it. And then, and then of course, just sort of a long winding road of books since then that have all, that have all had the feeling behind them that was, here are these stories to the, to the extent that the witnesses can corroborate them, we're going to call them true. And that to me was just, oh my God, really? Tell me more. Right. You know, I've, that's always my favorite thing. My, my favorite thing is going to the dinner party 
and you know, and, and it's getting late, and then suddenly someone's like, "Well, let me tell you the thing that happened in you know the town where I grew up, or let me tell you the thing that happened six months ago that I never, you know, I I don't really talk about." Those are the story. I mean, those are the best. That's what you want to hear, and that's the way you want to hear it. So. Now, speaking of that uh, complete and total shameless plug here, if you listen to the Farthest Reaches podcast, then on Halloween or within a couple of days afterwards, you'll get to hear about my childhood experiences with the Hat Man. Oh, um, the Hat Man. Yeah. But hat so, Man makes an appearance on um, Scared All the Time, the uh, I new know, podcast. I know, and I'm supposed to reach out to them and, and uh, share the same story, but uh, yeah, man. Oh, good. Yeah, you should. It's fun. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a blast. What a great show. Seriously. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love everything that Astonishing Legends does, but listening to Scared all the time, this is literally like me hanging out in the bar with all of my friends after we've yes. been on a ghost hunt talking about all this <laughs> shit, and I love it. It's, it's great. Yeah, that is the feeling. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Huge kudos to them on that. All right, so uh, Ghosts and Specters, who was the author on that? Can you remember off the top uh, of your head? Bruce and Nancy Roberts. Bruce and Nancy Roberts. I'm going to look that up, and I'm going to add that to the collection. I would love to, to dig into that. Cool. So, uh, Megan, uh, who you've met, um, I think, a couple of times at this point, one of the brave souls who, keep this, who keeps this ship afloat whenever, whenever I lose track, has a three-parter for you. And Ooh, as cool. you can expect, there's always some off-color humor here, but... Okay. Good. Um, one, if you could rewrite any scene in the film, what would you choose? If I could re so in the existing film, if I could rewrite a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Or a restructure. Is there any one scene that, that you just, uh, kind of raise an eyebrow out and said, should have done that different. No, I mean, look, here's the thing. The, there, there is a scene that is a fan favorite. Um, all the scenes are fan favorites to some fan, but, yep. um, this but there was the, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was, and look, here's the thing. It's like, it's a, and it's a good scene and it's funny and it's sexy and it's awesome. And it's the scene where they're looking at the house they're thinking of buying. And then they sort of end up having a tryst in the closet and, and then they're caught. This is early in the movie and it was, um, uh, the scene is originally written, did not go in that direction. It didn't go in like some other definite direction. It says that beat was not there. Now I think that beat was included to, to, to great effect to sort of say, these are two people who are still, however long this relationship has been going on, Very much it is still love. fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. they, they're still hot for each other. They clearly love each other this you know we're 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 into this relationship because it's going to become threatened very soon um i don't think i'd rewrite it but that's the one that always stands out to me like oh yeah they did that you know and um i got to tell you the other scenes almost the only if i had a complaint it's just that there were certain things that were scenes that were written that just never made it into the final film um for for we they were either cut at, at script stage you know that i was compelled to cut things in the drafts that i did or later on they were just cut out of the movie filmed but then just not not included so um but there's there are really no scenes that i feel like oh yeah no that one didn't do it they mark pellington he nailed it he knew again kind of like david greenwald it's like he he understood the assignment and uh, and the result is the movie. Well, I think it's uh, it's important to note here, and 
that a, a lot of people don't understand how how filmmaking works. It is not just one person running the show. There are so many different people that are putting their input and their efforts. And yeah, you definitely have the big wigs that are pulling the money stacks, but it is a group effort and, and things evolve and change constantly through it. And I think people kind of forget that because we're just happy sitting on our asses watching the shit at home, you know. But as a former film student who left two years afterwards because I knew exactly how much of a pain in the ass it was going to be, so I decided to go into a different line of work, um, it's, it's tough. It, it really is. And it takes the effort of a lot of people. And it's very, very rare that you come across a, a group, a whole production group, and that's including the cast and, and the guys throwing down the money who can really lock into a shared vision. So films are constantly evolving in the process of being made. And I think that's something everybody forgets. Yeah, that, that, that's totally true. And, and, I, and I think um, to, to sort of uh, come at it from a slightly different but, but certainly kind of current angle, it's why the notion of AI in the creation of art is so um, kind of uninteresting to me as not, I mean, and I'm not even talking as a creator, I'm talking as a viewer. I think people naturally, you know, you watch something, I do it too. And I look, you know how movies and television are made. I absolutely know how it's made. And yet when I watch something, and I think everyone does this you you cue into a point of view and you and, and your 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 interior sense wants to organize the ideas and the aesthetic around a person or a director a writer an actor the human element yeah the human element because you sort of want to go oh that's what like look if you're watching curb your enthusiasm you you're like i'm watching larry david he's in it he wrote it <laughs> This is his idea. I am I am connecting with him. That's who I am connecting with. Now there's other shows that you know there's a there's a, a creator behind it, but there's a big star who's a different person, maybe a director who's a different person, and and you're you're queuing off one of those or all of them together, but your brain does sort of want to go, oh, but it's that director that it's Quentin Tarantino. I like that director. Or I like this writer, or I like that actor, because when you're watching something, you're having a human connection, and so what you're connecting with is a human being. However, you, your brain processes that. Now, if a movie came out and someone told you it's been written by a computer, directed by a computer, and these actors are generated through a computer, that's going to be an interesting novelty, like a 3D movie. <laughs> And you're going to watch it and go, wow, that was really interesting. But as an audience, is the world clamoring for something that's been put together by a computer? I don't think so. Keep in mind, folks, it's not like these movies are going to be any cheaper for you to watch. <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, it costs $20 to see a movie starring Tom Cruise, um, but it'll only be $2 to go see the AI movie. No. You're going to be paying the same amount of money. You're just going to be seeing something that you can never engage with and go, oh, I like, I either I hate that actor, which people are devoted to also. 
how much they hate a director. But you'll still go watch it. <laughs> They'll go watch it so they can hate it. It's like, oh, I watched that fucking Avatar. I hate James Cameron. Or or Martin Scorsese used to be good and now he's not. Or he used to be no good and now he is. Or those are the arguments you want to have. No one wants a book. People want to read a Stephen King novel. They don't want to read a chat GPT 275. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Who are you going to argue with? It's not as good as the last one that that computer program wrote. You they need to interact. update their software. <laughs> yeah. You, right. you want to interact with the person uh, or, or, you know, it, it, look, is Taylor Swift's new newest material better than her older material? You want to have the argument about Taylor Swift. I hate Taylor Swift. I love Taylor Swift because it's a human being <laughs> and you can have that fun interacting with it. You can't do that. Anyway, that's my... AI spiel and, and, you know, as it applies to these questions. So no, 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 well, we're, we're not, we're not done with this topic because you just cracked open an egg. But first and foremost, I just want to say I am indifferent to Taylor Swift. I am just tired of hearing about her period. (laughs) I am just tired of hearing about Taylor Swift, but no, you brought up a good point and, and there's something that, I, I think we're lacking a lot in, in cinematic work these days is that human touch. Things have become so mechanical and, and so routine. One of the reasons, and we'll scale back just, just to the Mothman prophecies just for a brief second, is, is there was some brilliant character development with what time you had to work with. By the end of the movie, you cared about these people. Man, I'm having a really tough time finding characters and 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 development that actually makes me care about them. Nobody can find that comfortable middle anymore. Either it's just all balls to the wall and flash and booms and let's get your attention and your popcorn, or it is so overdramatic that it becomes tedious and it, it drags you through the mud and you don't want to deal with it. Nobody can find that good balance anymore. And you start throwing AI into it, that's going to lean towards removing that human element out of it even more. And, and sure, it might be a visual dazzling moment, but you're not going to connect with these characters. And 10 years from now, are you going to be talking about the movie? No, you're going to completely forget about it. It's the ones that have that deep human element that really hooks into you. That's the stuff that we remember. And, and yeah. those films are so few and far between these days, Rich. It's just I know. Dry, yeah. It's a, a feature film uh, for theatrical release is not what it was 20 years ago. Certainly not what it was 30, 40 years ago. Um, you know, there's again, you know, I'm not the first one to say that television is where a lot of the more interesting stuff uh, ends up um, as look, as long as they're somewhere as long, Hey, you know what? Publishing ain't that great right now. You know, no, no, no. And we there's all go not, through ebbs and flows on this, but yeah. Yeah, there's not there's not there's not 10 authors right now that I'm excited about, nor do I think I'm not interacting with people who are like, oh, well, you're out of touch. You know, th- th- you know, I-, I can't get enough. Right now is not a great time for that. So, you know, it'll come back. Everything comes back around. As long as human beings are involved, there will always be something to engage us. Yeah. And and but that's the thing is that. I still, I really do feel like we're missing that human element. And to be honest, I love that we had this conversation. 
And hell, I hope this is not the last time we're going to talk about it because uh, if if we if we go down this rabbit hole, we'll be here for a couple hours. But we're not going to do that to the audience on this one, at least. <laughs> yeah. But it actually does lead into Meg's final question, and this one is way more on a serious note. How are you feeling about the outcome of the strikes on your end as a writer? And um, if you can't do- dive into it, that's totally fine. We can save that for another time. Well, I can't, I, you know, I can't get into details because I simply don't know them because I have not personally sat down and combed through all of the details because it's a contract and, yeah, and there are people who have done it. There are people who did it on day one and, and there are people that who I know and whose opinions I trust who went through it and were able to go through it with members of the guild and do a, you know, side-by-side comparison. Here's where we were. Here's what we asked. Here's where we ended up on a variety of issues the people who i trust who have gone through it and i'm not talking about one person i'm talking about many many people to to a person come back and say this is an extraordinary deal in terms of a labor negotiation that is fought within these parameters okay now if you step back and say have writers problems been solved no of course not the, the 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 real solution lays so far outside the the narrow confines of of what was being negotiated from this percentage point to that percentage point yes within that battle within a much larger war we won decisively are 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 we now being compensated fairly and appropriately not by a mile that's what I was wondering. And and that's going to take a longer time to get to, but setting up the parameters to get there is, it's, it's a multi-step process, right? As human beings, we, we, we fight for the reality that we want um, every day through our own personal activism, through our own personal actions, through our political engagement. It's not going to be solved in our lifetime. And anyone who died in the past and thought it was solved has been proven wrong. These battles will go on forever. Our our responsibility as human beings is two things. Engage in the fight and fight that fight and understand at the same time it will never be won decisively or lost decisively in our lifetime. We must engage and know that our engagement will never be definitive. And that's it. And we move off stage. I think this is actually a great time to lead into one of the questions that we've got from Twitter, actually. Why have you not written a book yet? That comes from Liz Barclay. (laughs) Liz, leave me alone. (laughs) It's on my case. (laughs) Hello, Liz. Thank you for checking in. <laughs> um those are all good points but you yeah i mean there's um there i think i think in in this in this next portion of my career there are there are many uh outlets and options and i think writing a book is not outside the realm of possibility i mean hell you 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 know you've got tons of people who will buy first editions right off the bat I know it would have to be, I'd have to like publish a very special first edition. You know, I, this cannot be, 
you know, the self-published large format paperback, you know, that gets printed on demand. Oh, you're not going to go with the ufologist method? Come on, dude, you gotta. (laughs) It'll get, it can get to that point, but the first, like, I've got to spend, I've got to do the old, uh, you know, you know, Charles Dickens, when he published A Christmas Carol, was in debt. Um, he, He was at a bad point in his career. And he ultimately had to, um, or decided to, when that book came out to do this, you know, a very expensive printing. He's like, this book is going to be a gift that people are going to give each other during the Christmas holidays. So I'm going to go the extra mile with the boards and the printing and various colors. There'll be some red ink. I'm really going to make it a nice object that, that you can give to someone and be a gift, but it cost him because he was doing it. He was the one bankrolling it, and he did not make a ton of money off that first run. I'm not sure he ever made a ton of money off that story because copyright laws didn't exist back then, but he wanted it to be special. If I write a book, that's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to go into debt to create a special first edition, and then after that, it can just be whatever. No, 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 you're not. All you have to do is do a Kickstarter. I guarantee you, you will get, you will meet your goal Within one week, you have so many <laughs> followers. I want you to know personally, and this is not just me. This is me, all of the podcast content creators that I work with all across the board. Everybody who knows your name. We're just waiting on you to start a podcast. We'll quit after that. I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know what? You can take this. Take the XV Planets Mantle. I'll quit. Like you. <laughs> Look, I got I got to say the people I've met and and the people I interact with just because of being a guest with you and Scott and Forrest and Rob Christofferson and all the people whose shows I've been on has been such a gift and um and don't think for a second I don't I don't know that and don't value it. So that's extremely kind of you. Thank you. Man, we're we're just waiting for it. And uh the the real gift was you imparting your uh your talent on us seriously. I mean, and I'm not just kissing your ass, but between Mothman prophecies and miracles, those two were actually very influential on me. And uh I'm I'm seriously honored to be hanging out here and talking with you. It's it's awesome. Uh wow. but after the honor goes away, we can just have a couple of drinks and shoot the shit, and that's why I love hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh like in uh uh like in ohio (laughs) yeah we'll not talk about ohio like we were all in poor shape on that one uh but wow no no but seriously what a blast to get all of those people together and i'm actually going to be having some of the other um uh canton ohio people on here pretty soon for some other reasons oh cool uh, all right, so so we have a question from uh, Twitter user Joe uh, Bruckner. What's the best Mothman merch you've ever been given? Joe Bruckner, another guy I know. Mm-hmm. Joe, <laughs> I you know beyond the, look, the best merch is you know the DVD. So go ahead and buy it. <laughs> Blu-ray, go Blu-ray. Yeah, blue, get, get Blu-ray. Yeah. It deserves buy, the buy, HD. Buy, buy them in bulk. <laughs> um. I'll pass those out instead of candy this Halloween. Yeah, I've been. (laughs) There you go. Hopefully you don't have too many people coming by. Yeah, not in this town. There, there is. Well, here's the thing about the Mothman merch. There, there's not beyond, you know, buying a poster that is the movie poster. There's not like official merch uh, from the, the film. The, you know, you've got, you've got the movie, you've, 
obviously got the book, you should buy the book. And then again, the great thing about all of the the Mothman merch is that it's mostly just sort of your people in the crowd. I want to say crowdsourced, but it's mostly just it's like, hey, I'm a person, I do art. I, I did like this to, thing. Yeah, I like to do cryptids. So I've got Chupacabra and Bigfoot and Loch Ness and Mothman and Alien Dude. I think that's and what they're leaning towards. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, yeah. is there one piece that a fan has given you like just out of like, hey, Rich, here's this. I, thanks. And I and- love the stuff that I've been given, but but I, I, I could never lift one piece above any other piece because the because A, it's coming from the heart of the artist and B, it, it, it's so varied that that it's going to appeal to people based on their own i mean again some of it leans toward the scary some of it leans toward the cute <laughs> some of it leans toward the humorous and and it and and the styles that are employed are all over the map incredibly varied yeah yeah, yeah as so we, as we say, saw just at the uh, monster fest alone like you walked to any booth and anybody who did any art there you saw a hundred different interpretations of mothman and they were all pretty I, cool <laughs> yeah they're all great and they, and they like every you know things appeal to different people so i i would say go out there go online you're gonna find something that you you think is cool and if and if the movie inspired it then then God bless them, and I'm glad they enjoyed it. And I hope, and then I hope their artistic contributions reach an audience and 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 bring the world joy. Fair enough, good answer. All right, so uh, one more uh, quick fun one off of uh, Twitter, which I, I guess you probably know this person as well. Amy says, "Why are you so amazing? And how did you get to be so lucky to snag such a fabulous human for a wife?" Oh yeah! I, if I knew that, let me tell you, <laughs> I, I, I agree with Amy. <laughs> I have snagged a, an amazing human being for a wife. I'm <laughs> very lucky, which um, I was very lucky to meet at Monster Fest. And and yeah, you two are just delightful. I, I appreciate you uh, both welcoming us to the table for a little bit. We we tried not to oh, outwarm yeah. our welcome, but it was such a blast <laughs> to meet you guys in person. It was. What a blast. It, it was fun. She had a good time. Uh, good. And it's it's nice to go, you know, with, uh, you know, with your person. Um, uh, so I, I can certainly uh, agree that uh, Susan is amazing. I, I can't I can't really speak to my own amazingness. Uh, thank you, Amy, for for uh, for laying that compliment on me uh i i'm like everyone i'm just trying to uh get from morning till night without uh humili- humiliating myself too badly he's all right rich is all right you know <laughs> <laughs> all right um last three questions here and then and then we'll let you go um first and i found this one in particular to be interesting because we've asked you a, a, a lot about adapting other things if you could adapt any comic book or graphic novel property, what would you jump on if you have the opportunity to? Is there any, because like you did phenomenal work in the Titans, which we're going to get to that here in a second. But if you could pick one in any, any property. Here's, here's the weird thing for all the fun I had working on Titans and for what, what, what an astounding experience that was in, in every possible way. Um, I am not a comic book guy or a graphic novel guy. Like if you told me there's a graphic novel version of a novel, or you can just read the novel, I would just read read the the novel. novel. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not, and and there's, it's like, I, it's not like I'm, I'm, there's something in me that's dead set against the form. It just, it hasn't, for whatever reason I grew up, it was not what captured me. So, so there isn't a title out there. However, that having been said, I gotta say, having worked on Titans and worked with those, with those actors on those characters, you know, I walk away from it feeling like, okay, I've got a sense of who Nightwing is and Starfire and you know, uh, Beast Boy and, you know, Raven and, and then all the ancillary characters of, you know, Superboy and, you know, d- down the line. And I've, I'm, I'm, I feel so connected to those characters now. I would love the opportunity to tell more of those stories, to t- talk more about Superboy. Cause I wrote, I wrote the episode that introduced him. So I feel a connection to that. I, I wrote the, the episode or co-wrote the episode that introduced uh, Jason Todd, who eventually became Robin and then became Red Hood. Red Hood, yeah. The, the the time we spent talking about those characters, even in season four with Jinx, it's like having spent time in a writer's room thinking and talking and creating our version of those characters has made me feel connected to them. I would be so excited and so honored to do anything about those characters. So I would, I would say that that's as close an answer as I can give. Well, uh, that actually brings us to our next question. And, um, and this is my personal favorite and this comes from another Patreon user and I can feel this one for you if you want. Okay. (laughs) What was going to happen in Titans if the show was going to continue? And what I'll say, dear listeners is I've promised to show up in California with a case of scotch at Rich's house and get him drunk enough so that he tells me everything that was supposed to happen in season five, and then I'll leak <laughs> it on Reddit somewhere under a pseudonym. That'll probably never happen, but you can cross your fingers. <laughs> there was um, there was talk about spitting off uh, the character Red Hood. Oh, um, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so there were there were definite uh, there were there were definite serious conversations about that and how that would look, and I was. Um, uh, I was a part of those conversations. Um, but unfortunately did, did not come to pass. Um, a, a fifth season was something that was, uh, was seriously being considered. It, it, it actually was. And it's funny because we concluded things and, and there was a lot of talk. It's like, well, every season should end with enough of a conclusion that, that you, if it you, doesn't come back, then yeah. Yeah. Outside of the first, the first season ended on a legit cliffhanger, but we knew we were coming back. So there was no question that we were ever going to leave fans hanging. We knew we were coming back. So we felt comfortable ending on a bit of a cliffhanger and then concluding it at the beginning of season two. Um, season I can, I can two, see that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, two and three and four ended in places that it could end. You know, but at the same time, there's with characters like this and stories like this, there's always a door. Breadcrumbs. Yeah, I I wrote the final episode. Um, I wrote the script for the final episode of season four. It was obviously constructed and and informed by every writer who worked on the show and everyone who was creatively involved. But that one ended in a way that felt like, oh, if this is it, everyone's. I I, I have a sense of where everyone is going from here, and hopefully that is satisfying. But we always knew that you could always have season five, you know, oh my God, the phone rings. Oh my God, there's trouble in Metropolis or Gotham or San Francisco or Dallas, Texas. And 
we we got to call the Titans out of retirement. And and a phone call goes out to Raven and Beast Boy, and, you know, and Superboy and wh- whoever else. And and you know, where is Starfire? Well, you know, if we need her help, we know we can get her, you know, and whoever we need to bring back. And it would have been very easy to do. And HBO Max was very excited about it. There was still a lot of interest a year ago in continuing with those stories, but ultimately things happen and then those avenues get closed off. And, and then with, with characters like this, they find life in other ways. Clearly it happens with Marvel. It'll happen with DC too. You'll see all these characters again, just not in the incarnation that, that they existed in, in Titans. But see, that's that's the real bummer of it, because like Brandon in particular, I, I thought really like locked into the the Nightwing thing. And then oh, we're, yeah. we're, we're not going to go too far into this path because I'll just start going comic book nerd on you and we're not going to do it. But you, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've mentioned to you this to you before is that um, you, all the writers, everybody who was involved in the Titan series managed to take a group of characters that honestly never really cared about. But man, you hooked it in the first couple of episodes. Honestly, like <laughs> everybody know this show is not for kids anyway. So as soon as I heard "fuck Batman," I'm like, "Oh, okay, all right, we're in. Let's let's do this. This is this is gonna go dark, and I'm 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 here for it." And and it was it was brutal. You know, I I hope they'll tap back into those properties. Honestly, I really hope they'll use some of the same actors. I know that DC is going through their whole reformatting and all that stuff but seriously titans and doom patrol were the only reasons well and raised by wolves were the only reasons that i ever hooked up with hbo max and now those are gone so fuck hbo seriously (laughs) seriously like i'm i'm never mm -mm, no well you know it's it's hard when shows you like i mean titans is still like you can still access titans on hbo max yeah but but how long until they decide like oh we you know like they've been well, doing, they just pulled Raised by Wolves. I can't watch that anymore on there. So, yeah, what you know, what 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 I want as a consumer, and this is not me, you know, this is not like a WGA thing or a Hollywood thing. As a consumer, what I want from all of these platforms is a platinum level or whatever you want to call it that allows you access to the studio's entire library and every show they've ever done. And, and, and that's, it's like, Hey, and and so I'm paying for it. It's a version of Amazon prime where it's just like, Hey, I want to go watch riptide or something or some random show heart to heart, you know, a a show from the eighties, a show from the seventies. I want to watch Kolshak, the night stalker. I want to watch the Rockford files. Yes. You know, but, but those, you know, have some claim to fame. Those, are on various platforms, but you should be able, you should be able to hunt down any show you remember from childhood, find out the studio, and then call up those episodes and watch them and pay for them. I'm not saying it should be offered for free. Give me the platinum level so I can watch any Warner brothers movie that was ever made. Hell, if you give, if you give me the option to buy them and add them to my own personal collection, I'll do that. I've already done that with Titans and doom patrol. I'm just waiting on the rest of the the last season. But are you talking about physical media? No, I I purchased it through iTunes because that is a Monmouth that is never going to go away. Like it's just going to keep building. 
and that's uh, physical media is nice, but honestly, it, like the cost of living these days, we don't have the physical space that we would like to have to store things. Exactly. That but, is the but, truth. But because of the way streaming is being run now, people are, there is a shift now back to DVDs. And it looked like five, 10 years ago, well, not even, not 10 years ago, I guess, maybe it looked like, oh, maybe we're getting to a point where we can get rid of the DVDs because we're going to be subscribing to Paramount Plus. Anything that's ever been on Paramount, I can just access it there. It'll be available one way or another. And then they start pulling. start getting pulled off platforms. Yeah. And it happens to be your favorite movie or your favorite old TV show. And it's not the most popular title and it's not in the top 200. You're screwed. And now it's like, well, now I do want things on DVD. Oh, I thought I was going to get rid of my DVDs. Nope. You know what? Better hold on to them because Barney Miller or the Bob Newhart show is suddenly going to get pulled off some platform and then I won't be able to see it when I want to see it. So guess what? I guess I got to have a DVD player. I guess I got to buy a computer that plays DVDs or I've got to buy an X. And suddenly you're, you're back to physical media. It's not, we've gone down a weird rabbit hole with the way people consume entertainment and it's not consumer friendly. And if, if something is not consumer friendly, guess what? The consumers are going to go somewhere else. So now it's got it. We got to turn the ship around. We're having the streaming wars right now. You know, it's it's literally happening right in front of us. So. And 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 the streamers right now are, are are playing a really interesting hand. They're saying, okay, well, on the one hand, we're not going to offer you as much new product, but we're also going to take away the old product and yank it off the platform, and we're also going to start charging you more. Now that's really interesting. That's a fascinating business model. You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just break the PG thirteen barrier and just say that's fucked up. And we are <laughs> we are all starting to notice it and we're not happy about it, and we're gonna end up doing something about it. And that yeah, I've, it, I've it, shut it, down the vast majority of streaming services that I have at this point. I, I will find some way to collect them either on a long form digital platform or I will go back to buying physical releases. Well, and that's a and and that's and that's a tragedy because I got to tell you, people all throughout the the writers' strike and now even with the actors' strike, um, would often come up and go, like, okay, well, okay, so 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 what you know should I just cancel all my you know things? Should I cancel Apple and Amazon and Netflix? And all the way through, the point of view of the writers' guild, certainly the point of view of the people on strike, were like, no, that's not the point. We don't want you to not consume the 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 art and the entertainment that we're creating we want the whole point is consume it consume more of it consume don't consume eight episodes consume 108 episodes why make eight episodes of something that's super cool why not make 108 if people like eight they will like 800 just keep fucking doing it People, Stephen King, Star Wars, what, whatever it is, people want more. Provide it for them, and pay the people who make it. It's not that hard. It's not. I, I don't know. I don't know who got mixed up or who drank what Kool Aid. It ain't that hard. People still want the product. Go sell it to them. But it's a little bit harder on the consumerism side because we're all broke these days. And we're being pulled in 20 different directions from all these different streaming services. 
And now it's well, become complete and total chaos. You know? <laughs> I know. And you have to sort of pick and choose. It's like, well, what, you know, what platform has the most for my subscription money for the amount of time I'm going to subscribe? And, and that really wasn't the problem back in the days of, of network TV or even just basic cable. You, you, you didn't really have to go into individual stores to buy the entertainment you wanted. It was platformed in such a way that you could pay you know, a price and get most of what was out there. Um, look, that's not my problem. My problem <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, that's, that was a problem created by the people who are now suffering the problem. You know, uh, there, there are ways to create a product. People want coffee. So Starbucks figured it out. You serve them coffee. They don't subscribe. They buy the coffee. Let let people consume the entertainment. There is no worldwide decision of, hey, we don't like hour-long entertainment anymore. No, people still want it. They want it more than anything. I want and it longer than that. Be, yeah, there used to be ways to deliver that in a way that made money for everyone and satisfy the consumer. All you billionaire geniuses, you figure it out. Meanwhile, the creative morons like me who actually make the entertainment... We're just sitting here with our computers and our pencils ready to go uh, so as soon as you figure out how to satisfy that demand. And the demand isn't for less. So why less is being offered, I don't know. So that being said, where is my miracles upgrade? I want that in high definition. I know you got it. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I got one final question here for you. And this one... I, I hope it's not going to be too much of a sting. Last but not least, what do you think of the recent news that Mothman is returning to the entertainment world, likely in the vein of a streaming series, and are you involved in any way? You know, I've I've only heard what uh, what you guys have heard. Um, it sounds like I mean, I, and I heard it. I heard that Mark Pellington make it, made it an, an announcement, but from. Here's my understanding. Well, I'm not involved. Um, if if Pellington is involved, it sounds like it will be a quality product. Um, so it, it's from what I understand, it's not imminent. I think something is in development, but again, that's that's the Years most the that line, I've heard. Probably, yeah. And 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 in development, and anything can happen. It can it can move forward, or it can not move forward, or it can Fall go flat on its way. face. Yeah. yeah. If it's something, you know, I. I doubt that it's anything that is closely connected to the existing movie because if it was then sooner or later I'm I will be involved in terms of money or copyright or whatever but which is why I assume it isn't but the same thing is or, or along those same lines you know I don't own the idea of Mothman can anyone really own Mothman? Oh no, no, you know, it's no, like Bigfoot. no abs absolutely not. So, and so I and I don't know, and I don't know how it's being developed or or what's being developed. Whether it's it's you know it, it takes place in a different time or if it's about or if it's a horror. I, like I literally know nothing about it other than it, Mark Pellington said something about it. He's an extremely talented filmmaker. If he's involved, I'm sure it's going to be awesome, and I'm as excited as anybody to see it. Fair enough. And I wish them well because it's hard to get stuff done. So yeah, no shit. Godspeed. <laughs> 
All right, Rich, thank you so much for joining me uh, again for this follow-up. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and um, I hope this is not the last time you'll be on the show. Uh, of course I've not. I'm, 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 I'm here. You're there. We can do uh, this. Absolutely. we got tons of things to talk about, my friend. So uh, with that being said, uh, once again, this has been the commentary of the Mothman Prophecies with screenwriter Rich Haddam and a very brief, uh, well, not so brief Q&A at this point. Thank you so much for making the time, brother. This has been an absolute blast, and I cannot wait until the next time that we, uh, we get to dive into the weird together. Always a pleasure, my friend. Cool. Thank you, man. Many thanks to Richard Haddam for joining me on this wild ride through cinematic history. If you're craving more XV Planets, please consider donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash where you'll gain access to our exclusive content. There's a whole other separate series on there called Transmissions from the Void, where I interview other people about their own experiences with the paranormal, as well as extended interviews, exclusive episodes with special guests, and much more. A sincere thank you to all subscribers who support the show and donate to the Patreon. You are awesome, and I can't express enough just how much every little bit helps to make this show happen a little bit easier. Don't forget to follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and no, I am not calling it X, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, everywhere as XV Planus. And you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes as usual. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us. And tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the library about us. Well, maybe not that one. You might get into a little bit of trouble. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who might enjoy taking this trip down many a rabbit hole. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Lux Occult, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and more. While the website isn't quite up to date yet, you can go to www.greenmushroomproject.com and add that to your bookmarks to keep up with the network in the future. This show is produced in the Black Lodge, wherever that resides in this moment of time and space, and it is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far, and I'll see you in the between. In Abambratio, in Fluctus, Subvelo. Hey guys, Flood here. As most of you know, I do all of the music sound design and, well, I mean, pretty much everything for the audio engineering aspect of this podcast, as well as everything else. But I wanted to take this opportunity, especially since we just did the commentary on the Mothman prophecies and then also had Rich Haddam on for a Q&A session, I wanted to share one particular piece of music that I've worked on, which some of you have heard before, definitely in the background somewhere. 
But many, many moons ago, I actually did a on, you know, I actually did a boots on the ground investigation of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And the outcome of that inspired me in a lot of different ways, including this one particular track that I'm about to share with you. So if you're still here, if you're still listening, this is what I refer to as Mothman's theme. And you can find this by searching Folds and Floods on Spotify or uh, Apple Music or wherever you stream your music. But yeah, this is this is a meaningful one to me. And hopefully there's going to be more of it because really this track is unfinished. haven't even added vocals. Hell, I don't know if I ever even will. But if you like the spooky, weird sounds and music that I do for the show, I think you're really going to dig this. So, happy Halloween. Enjoy. And all hail Mothman. Cheers. Thank you. 